Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. The Man Who Saw the Light Over Winter Hill by Ian Gordon Three, Boxing Day. The two of us were up bright and early on the 26th. It was set to be a cool, clear day, so we munched our way through half a loaf of toast and made plans to hike to Crooked Edge Hill. I have to admit, my eyes were peeled the whole way. Daytime, as I've come to realise, offers only the illusion of safety. I had no desire to fall prey to that rat thing. Forty minutes later, just after nine, Rosie and I were standing between the two lads, the chill of the moor whistling in our ears. A few dog-walkers could be seen in the distance, taking the service road in the direction of the mast, but we had Crooked Edge Hill to ourselves. I tried to retrace my steps, to recall precisely where I'd been standing when that bizarre flash had startled me. Not an easy task in the contrasting daylight, but after several minutes, I was reasonably sure I'd managed it. From that point of indistinct grass, Rosie and I descended the hill a little, moving north towards the mast. At a spot down the hill where two rough trails intersected, I saw an area of flattened moor grass, some three feet in diameter. It was a subtle depression, the kind of thing you just wouldn't have noticed if you hadn't been looking for it. But there was nothing telling about it, no ground scorch, the likes of which you might associate with lightning. However, there was an atmosphere, a sense that something was amiss. Rosie felt it too. Centuries of strange stories seemed to converge on that spot, willing us to believe in all that had been whispered about the moor. Looking out across Winter Hill, calm and innocuous under clear blue skies, it was difficult to believe that such remarkably abnormal and tragic tales could be linked to it. But that's often the way with such places, isn't it? Sometimes you just get a feeling. Fear of the deep woods. Terror of the dark waters. We should trust those instincts. I sure as hell wish I'd trusted mine. Uncovering nothing else of note, Rosie and I set off on our return journey to Narrow Valley. And here's where things start to get really effing strange. We'd reached the village, and were turning onto Chapel Lane, my street, when Rosie abruptly grabbed my arm. She'd caught sight of something ahead of us, something that I quickly realised was very much out of the ordinary. Mercifully, it had its back to us, but it was clear to see, even at a distance of fifty feet or so, that this thing, like the rat thing that had disturbed us the night before, was a pale quadruped, trailing the curb, sniffing it like a dog. But it wasn't a dog. It was too big, too limber. And it was bald from head to toe, sporting the insipid flesh of a troglodyte. Is it the thing from last night? Rosie whispered nervously. No way, I said. It's twice the size, at least— Look at it. And on it went, inhaling the curb. 
its pallid head, a weirdly humanoid head at that, bobbing back and forth periodically. We were downwind of the thing, thank God, so we were able to sneak towards it, matching its pace, impatiently seeking the safety of number seven. But as we reached the wall at the front of the house, the creature turned its flat face towards us, opened an oddly wide mouth as if to howl, and darted forward at speed. We flew for the front door. I pulled the key out and fumbled with it clumsily. We could hear the sound of bold paws slapping on the cobbles as the thing closed in on us. The door yielded, and we were through it in a matter of nanoseconds. I threw the door closed and double-bolted it. Rosie and I, panting like a pair of spent sprinters, rushed through to the dining room and stood in front of the CCTV monitor, eager to see what the thing outside was going to do next. And what we saw there shocked us. It wasn't a creature on all fours that met our gaze. It was a hurless human being, a regular action figure without his clothes, I thought, in a moment of weird humour. And it was just standing there, entirely motionless, directly below the camera, its dark eyes glued to the front door. "'What the hell is going on here?' Rosie blurted. "'Who is that?' I had no answer for her. I shook my head involuntarily. Something very odd was going on, but I hadn't a clue where to begin in trying to offer an explanation. Had that thing that chased us been nothing more than a human being down on his hands and knees?' It seemed to me that these things were two entirely different entities, the former clearly an animal, the latter distinctly human. We stood there for a good five minutes, just watching the stranger, and in that whole time it didn't so much as budge an inch. It might well have been an action figure after all. But then, quite suddenly, it turned on the spot and wandered off, vacating the eye of the camera. My sister and I were dumbfounded. What if it's still out there? Rosie pondered. It probably is still out there, I said. It has something to do with what I saw on Christmas Eve, I know it. You think it's the same thing we saw in the yard last night? What else could it be? Unless there are a dozen pale rats, dogs and naked men running around out there? Just then we heard Jolly the Bulldog barking again next door. Come on, I said leading Rosie back to the front door. "'You're not seriously thinking about going out there, are you?' she asked. She had a point. Instead, we went into the living room and peered through the curtains. Justin was out front with Jolly. Evidently the dog had seen something. "'Come on,' I said again, this time unlocking the front door as I reached it. "'Jesus, Rome,' Rosie sighed, bracing herself. "'It's okay,' I said. "'Justin's out there with Jolly.' And out we went, with caution. "'Has Jolly seen that rat again?' I asked, approaching my neighbour and his dog. "'I don't know,' Justin returned. "'Something's got him riled, though.' Jolly the poor lad was trembling. His mouth was wide open, and he was panting like mad. "'What have you seen, boy?' I asked. But the bulldog simply whined, looking half his size in that moment. "'There was someone out here,' I said to Justin." A weird-looking chap, naked as the day was born. What? Justin blurted. I could tell instantly that he thought I was on the wind-up. I'm serious, I went on, pointing at the camera above the door, standing right there under the camera. 
Justin looked to Rosie for some sort of confirmation. <laughs> Can't blame him, really. I have, or had, one of those rubber faces that lends itself quite well to comedy. Rosie, on the other hand, is more of the firm-faced Frank type. It's true, she said, backing me up as I knew she would. Christ, Justin murmured. No wonder Jolly's upset. Probably best if we all head back inside for now, mate, I said. Justin nodded. Whether he complied because he believed us, or because he just wanted to get away from us, I'm not sure. Not that it matters. Soon enough, we were all indoors. But something was wrong. There was a breeze blowing through from the back of the house. The back door, I breathed. With some trepidation, I pushed in front of Rosie and inched towards the kitchen by way of the decent-length corridor that runs through the house. If somebody had smashed their way in while we were outside, they'd done a grand job of stowing themselves away somewhere. You could have heard a pin drop as we went. The house was soaked in silence. The back door was indeed open. How it had been opened is a question I still can't answer, though I have my suspicions. Perhaps I'd just left it unlocked. But I find that very hard to believe, considering how vulnerable I'd felt those previous few nights. Nevertheless, Rosie and I were filled from head to toe with the creeping and horrible notion that somebody was in the house, and not just anybody. That pale figure that had been standing at the front door moments before. I closed the door, locked it, double-bolted it. Then it was to the nasty business of checking the rooms one by one. We visited the dining room and the living room. Empty. The downstairs toilet and the study. Empty. Was this just silly paranoia we were experiencing? We made our way upstairs, me up front, visiting first the bathroom, then the guest bedroom. Empty. The box room. Empty. And then the master bedroom. Not empty. Standing at the foot of the bed, seemingly taller than ever, eye to eye with myself at over six feet in height, was the pale, hairless man. I froze on the spot. I was unable to move. Rosie gasped and took off at a run to call, as I later discovered, the police. My thoughts were a jumble. The stranger before me was still and silent, looking right at me, right into me as though trying to calculate the nature of my being. Was he breathing? I couldn't tell. His chest appeared to be rising and falling, but so minimally that it was difficult to know for sure. It was like coming face to face with a shop mannequin, but one with living, searching eyes, black, undefined orbs that were akin to bottomless wells. I don't know how long I stood there staring at the intruder, minutes, hours... It wouldn't have made a difference. I was consumed by the moment, lost in the strangeness of it all, confused by the motivations of this unfinished piece of sculpture. The only thing I was really conscious of was the man's continuously changing state. Before my fixed gaze, his pastel skin appeared to darken somewhat. A penis and testicles formed between his legs. His facial features sharpened, raising his brow hollowing his cheeks. Then, as his lips, still colourless but fuller now, began to curl up in a smile, the trance-like state into which I'd been plunged was disturbed by the arrival of several heavy-handed police officers, 
each of whom raced into the room like a herd of stampeding bulls and forced the naked man to the ground. And as he hit the floor, the abnormal figure emitted a faint but distinct yelp. <laughs> 